Today, I'm joined by Dana Ahmed. Dana is a passionate law and politics student involved in youth participation, accessible education, and ocean preservation matters. She has attained the International Baccalaureate Diploma and studied environmental systems and societies and global politics higher level whilst researching the correlation between ocean waste, production, and gender and the role of youth in promoting climate action and its impact on achieving the SDGs. She's the member of IRENA's Youth Forum and was a youth delegate and council member in the 9th and 10th IRENA Assembly session in 2020, which stressed the global energy transition, green hydrogen and youth participation in decision and policy making. She's Egypt's representative at World Ocean Day and an Arctic Ice Force hub leader. Additionally, she is a representative of Egypt at the Sustainable Ocean Alliance Youth Policy Advisory Council. As a climate and ocean advocate, Dana is most um, passionate about the members that are greatly affected by the lack of urgency in the ocean crisis, especially those on the autism spectrum, and has thus founded EcoSpectrum, the first app in the world that aims to elevate the inclusivity of students and youth within the spectrum of autism in climate action and ocean conservation discussions. I'm so grateful that you're joining us today, Dana, and as an individual myself on the autism spectrum, um, I think it's absolutely fantastic what you're doing, all the causes that you're involved in. And uh, we'll begin by, if you tell us a little bit more about yourself, a bit about your background, please. The pleasure is all mine, Anum. Um, yes, of course. So as uh, you've graciously mentioned, I am a law and politics student. I'm studying at the University of Glasgow at the moment. I'm Egyptian, but was born and raised in the United Arab Emirates, specifically in Abu Dhabi. Uh, I have grown up near coasts and oceans. One of the main uh, issues that I focus on now is the conservation, restoration, and protection of the Red Sea. I'm currently working on developing um, a legislation that um, creates an implementation plan for the protection of the Red Sea and also places the responsibility not just on Egypt, but on surrounding nations as well to care for the Red Sea and its resources, as well as the people that are reliant on it. And this is this is that's mainly what I focus on at the moment. I mean, it's a great deal of work that you're doing, a great deal of activism as well, Dana, um, on this journey. Um, what are kind of some of the opportunities that have come your way, and what are the, some of the challenges that you're facing in your work? Yeah. So with. I work on two very niche subjects. The first is oceans and second neurodivergence or youth on the autism spectrum. And there is a lot of misrepresentation on the representation for both causes and for both communities, whether it's uh, communities living on the coasts of the oceans that are dealing with exploitation of resources or overfishing or lack of um, protective legislation that is implemented righteously and puts their needs and their concerns first, 
or for example, for the autistic community where there's also a massive lack of opportunities in the market and representation, true and honest representation that prioritizes their experiences and their needs as well. Um, so those are one of the main issues that I'm dealing with both subjects. And then there's the issue with the intersectionality of both niche areas, which is what I do and what I deal with in Ecospectrum is trying to raise awareness both on ocean conservation matters and why it's important and why it is the one thing that is sustaining human livelihood. At the same time as well, putting youth on the autism spectrum's voices at the forefront of that, given how they're also severely impacted, not just by the climate crisis, but specifically as well, the ocean crisis, specifically in the Middle East. Donna, I have to say I'm absolutely wowed, absolutely amazed by what you're doing. You're being a real pioneer there. We're going to start off, I think, exploring um, the challenges, you know, when you're working um, with youth on the autism spectrum. And I just want to really highlight this, that children and youth that are autistic, they do grow up. They do grow up to become adults. And I think one thing that I see as an adult in the world around me is that there's a lot of talk there's a lot of um, we're led by autism friendly practices and there is a lot of autism based experts, etc. But in reality, are there modif modifications for adults or youth on the autism spectrum and modifications and adaptations that are actually suited to them, that are actually advocated for by them and and I say this not just in the environmental advocacy, but I say this in all the varying aspects that are involved in, for instance, work culture, for instance, um, service sectors, et cetera, banking, et cetera. Maybe in the service sector, there is uh, modifications and adaptations um, as a customer facing role. But in the day to day, I think this is something that, because you use this word misrepresentation, about the narrative actually being led by individuals who experience autism and by research that is led by lived experiences so we can make this world truly inclusive, so we can really actually think about what is it that we need to do for individuals that have autism to ensure that they are fully able to have a high quality of life, to ensure that they're able to partake in uh, a life that is meaningful and they're able to access services, to ensure that they're able to work in a manner that is supported and that they're not just surviving, but that they're thriving in all that they do. Um, as a mother with children likely to be on the autism spectrum as well, I think your outlook is incredibly important to get the conversation started, to sort of have a think about globally, locally, regionally, a real serious thing in terms of policy and say, 
what are we doing as a community, as a region, as an international community for individuals with autism spectrum in a practical sense? Um, I'd like to know your views on that. Yeah, it's exactly as you said. Um, you've worded it so perfectly. We are so behind in getting the conversation started, especially in terms of climate and oceans. The conversation actually hasn't started. Um, we're very much behind. It's very much spoken about in terms of um in citizen level, but it has yet to be taken into account um in a more formal level in terms of policy and and legislation as well um and it's kind of it's it's not just misrepresentation it's also a huge lack of acknowledgement on what the struggles are what is the issue why do we need that kind of representation why it's so important in reality we're missing out on a on a, on a whole community and it's a huge deal because for me, for example, I link many different aspects in specific work to different communities that I'm part of. I grew up in two different countries. I'm, I, I've, I was born and raised in the United Arab Emirates, and I'm also Egyptian. So I'm in between two countries that are dealing with significantly different issues. And when I focus on representation in developing, for example, certain academic material or certain resources for the neurodivergent community, I take that and I also apply it to a community that I work with here in Egypt uh, that is the illiterate illiterate youth um, in coastal communities, whether that's on the Nile or the Red Sea, I work in both. And I use that material, for example, for children who are on the autism spectrum, and I actually create digitalized information uh, that is that becomes accessible for illiterate youth. So it's a cycle. And if we don't start with representing one community, then we're missing out on a huge, huge wider community that we have yet to even consider. So that just shows how behind we are and how urgent the situation is, especially when our region is dealing with not just the highest rate of autism that actually research has shown to be connected with uh, the high levels of pollution in the region, but at the same time, we're also one of the most, if the most water scarce region in the world, dealing with the warmest temperatures uh, that is absorbed by our oceans when our seas are also one of the most biodiverse. The Red Sea has the most uh, resilient coral reefs that is actually expected to be the last, scientifically proven to be the last existing and standing coral reefs that are bound to exist beyond 1.5 degree temperature. So it's, again, it's all connected and the conversation needs to start from it's obviously the, the approach that we're taking now as a community is a bottom-up approach and that's I believe is the best way to go about it but at some point we need to get to a point where the leaders and the policy makers and the decision makers that can literally change the fate of so many young people and children with a sign of a pen they need to as well start acting. Powerful words there, Dana, especially when you said, you know, about whole community missing out. And that is so important. Um, and you also mentioned something very interesting about the link between what's happening in the environment 
and the rates of autism um, because research has shown that autism is not just affected by genetics environmental factors do also play a part as well um, and this call of urgency in getting policymakers, in 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 sort of getting with those who are in authority globally to take action is very important. It's very important um, because I think even on a daily basis, individuals with autism, um, regardless of any form of advocacy, they are struggling. There's a struggle, and that provision. And that culture of understanding really, really needs to evolve. And it needs to evolve inclusively, not to some individuals that have autism and they get support. It needs to extend to everybody um, because autism doesn't discriminate <laughs> in terms of which individual has it. It's a condition, it's a spectrum. And then equally important when you talk about the ocean conservation and those conversations also being a niche in terms of um, ASD advocacy. What's really important is that those habitats, those ecosystems, they've been greatly affected. And we might not know the significance of that impact until much later down the line when it's too late. We already know how grave the situation is now, but I think that full understanding doesn't exist and equally interlinking that with autism advocacy and um, the environmental um, interlinks, there really needs to be a great deal of work and a great deal of action that needs to come into play. Um, what kind of policies do you think can be a step in the right direction for both of these issues? Yeah, thank you for, for the question. Um, just to add as well to what you've said, children with autism, we have, because they're not represented righteously or with the extent that we need them to be represented at, we have yet to unlock as well their full potential and the potential of the other communities that are going to be strengthened by the representation of children and youth on the autism spectrum. These are children that are future presidents, future leaders, scientists, lawyers, teachers. And if we don't provide the accessible environment that they need to, as you said, thrive, not just be represented, but thrive and truly have their voices heard, then we're going to be stuck at a stage where we're so close to one, to, to 1 1.5 degrees that it's dangerous, that we're risking so many people, so many lives being low, rising temperatures, rising sea levels, all the extreme climate hazards that we're hearing about every day, especially in the region, one of not just the most biodiverse, as I've mentioned, but also the most vulnerable to, to, to the climate crisis. Um, in terms of answering as well your question, what kind of policies can lead us to the right direction and can elevate the voices of both communities, really, um, or the community as well that meets in the middle? Um, mainly, we need policies that are 
centered around having a clear implementation plan, something that is missing in a lot of the climate legislation that is being proposed globally, is that there is no clear direction and there is no policing strategy that sets out what do we need to do to achieve, for example, say, lessen overfishing or achieve 1.5 degrees uh, or stay, sorry, below 1.5 degrees by 2040. There isn't a clear strategy. There isn't any policing strategy specifically to hold people accountable. So if we are missing that accountability aspect, people are going to continue doing business as usual. They're going to continue doing what they're doing right now, lack of representation, misrepresentation, not having people included, because at the end of the day, and this has been also reiterated by many policymakers as well, these are words on a paper. The law is words on a paper, and it cannot be taken seriously if there isn't if there isn't any accountability structure, if there isn't someone policing what, what is going to be, what is the consequence of someone not following the law upon this in previous uh, engagements that I was part of, whether it's um, in ocean dialogues or dialogues about education and accessibility, the concern of who is leading the conversation, who is leading the conversation about accessibility, who is leading the conversation about education, who is leading the conversation about ocean conservation. This is a deeply ingrained issue of a conflict of interest where there's a, a lot of the times globally, a lot of the laws that are implemented, a lot of the policies that are implemented are not implemented and are not led by people who are, for example, part of the community that needs the most help. So in return, you don't get the results that are actually needed. You don't get the results that is going to guarantee a just, equitable life for communities that are extremely vulnerable to the impact of climate change or to the impact of the ocean crisis. So that's also something that we need to consider is who is drafting this legislation when it's being drafted and the implementation plan is there, who is going to be going to the community themselves, to schools, for example, that uh, are special schools teaching kids on the autism spectrum or neurodivergent kids or kids with disabilities and asking them questions. What, what are they looking for? What do they need? Understanding the education system that they're in right now and how it can be improved. Most of the time, these steps are not taken whether it can be either because of simply the fact that they don't have the information that they need to have, they don't have the people that the the policy, the advisory council that they need to give them advice on what they need to do and these steps that are crucial for them to take in order to create laws that are impactful. Other times, it's simply ego, unfortunately, and who are choosing profit over life and profit over true representation and this is not new we've heard this kind of criticism being given all the time but it's really a question of which leader is brave enough to make to again make that change to to put in the plans and the laws that we need to actually create something that is going to make a difference that is going to put a stop and an end a forever end to the continued injustices happening to the most vulnerable community, the community of near neurodivergent youth and youth with disabilities, and also communities that are living on the coasts of our of our seas and our oceans. Well, it's actually very interesting what you said because there's a very um, well-known quote that 
the true measure of any civilization is how it treats its most vulnerable. And um, what you also touched upon earlier, that we're actually missing out on um, what the autistic community can do. Um, because there's a balance of the challenges and opportunities, you know, uh, the next um, leadership cohort, the next professional um, professionals in medicine, in education, in the service industry, um, in the arts, in the sciences, um, autistic youth, autistic children and autistic adults um, can give a lot back to society if they're allowed to thrive. But if we have a system that's penalizing you for being autistic, but on the surface, there is great talk about, you know, um, autism friendly and um, autistic centric policy. But in reality, it, it, it it's not occurring. I think that disparity is alarming. And that disparity is alarming globally. Because if you think about it, that autistic individual might be for instance, a parent, they might have autistic children that they're looking after or an autistic caregiver, or they might have siblings themselves. They might be a part of a family unit or a community. So they're not in silo. When we are not supporting individuals with autism, we're actually affecting whole communities. And when we start affecting whole communities, we start affecting regions. And regions go nationally to internationally and that is not a small impact and again and again emphasize this and it's very um apt what you said that we need somebody to be brave and actually say this is what needs to be done and the time for that i don't think it's now i think it was yesterday we're actually late we're very very late in making this an inclusive world, there is a great deal of people with autism, um, some of them mostly adults, who are crying out for help, who are saying, this is what we're experiencing, but the provision isn't there for us to be able to access the world that we live in. Couple that with advocacy, for the environment, for oceans, for conservation. I think we're marginalizing communities that don't need to be marginalized, that have a right, that have a human right to be included in all parts of society. And by that, I don't mean a few events here and there where members of the autistic community are sort of allowed to engage, I mean a real thorough systematic strategy implementation where individuals with autism can and should be able to access their right to have a complete and fulfilled life through all stages of their journey, through childhood, through the transition of being youth and young adults to being adults and then adults with families. Um, a major part of that is advocacy, 
and the inputs of individuals with autism in regards to advocacy for the environment, for the ocean conservation, as well as advocacy for the self in the day-to-day where they're working for modifications and adaptations, for the services that they're accessing, how are they able to access it and how can they be supported in that access for their medium to long-term plans and to be able to say we have a world where if you're an autistic individual, you can do anything that you want, you can achieve your dreams, you can be an advocate, you can be a climate justice uh, spokesperson, and you'll be supported with that because the modifications or the adaptations that you require to thrive in the advocacy will be present. Now, moving forward to the future, Dana, what are some of the trends and patterns do you sort of anticipate um, in this area? Sorry, can you repeat the question? Your voice cut off. Um, so I think moving towards the future, what are some of the trends and patterns that you can anticipate in this area? Um, and also, what are your hopes for the future as regards to this? Yes. Um, so I first of all, I just want to really stress as well what you said, because I, I really I really do believe that this is such an important point to make is that when providing rights and when providing hope and and resources and any kind of supportive work for any underrepresented community, whether it's on the spectrum or not, um, or other communities that are, there are so many other vulnerable communities as well that are have yet to be represented in the climate and ocean sphere. We need to provide support in all stages of their journey, not just, you know, uh, in a, in a specific workplace or in a specific field, there has to be support all around. There has to be accessibility all around in whatever space they're in and whatever field they're in and whatever stage in their lives they're in. Even if they're children, there's a huge, huge, huge misrepresentation as well for children on the autism spectrum. A lot of have yet to be developed research that needs to be considered when creating when creating resources, especially when educating, edu creating educational material for these children, there has to be support all around in all stages of their journey so they can truly thrive in whatever field that they choose and not feel compelled to go into a specific field or go into a specific frame of work just because that's the only accessible way for them to move forward in their lives or in their journeys um and yeah i think for the future the trends that i have been seeing especially after cop 28 has been that there is a lot better youth engagement and there has been a lot of youth that are making it at the forefront of the discussions and that is heartwarming to see that is something that we have been calling for for years now and we have received 
that and it is even being implemented in national governments uh, speaking for example about my own country in Egypt there was a full autist of a full um youth delegation that was brought to COP28 and that was wonderful to see and it is also that there are COPs as well I mean COP27 and COP28 have seen quite a radical change in children being involved in the conversation. It is the first time that we see not just the children in youth pavilion, but active children that are in the space of COP. And this is not just something that we need, and this is not just something that should be celebrated. This is revolutionary. This is going to be down in history books. The language that we are suggesting needs to be taken into account. The needs that we are proposing need to be taken into account not just us being in the space, but also actively engaging in the process. Uh, that's something that I really, really hope to see that is also going to radically change, not just the movement, but it's also going to create a huge change for our future. Um, and also I'm optimistic because a lot as well of the work that we do now, something that I'm seeing put forward a lot is love-based strategies. And I am someone who used to always, and this is the first time that I also talk about this, in the past, I have been led by my anger and my frustration. And it has burnt me out so much because I wasn't able to even be capable of hosting the communities that I'm now capable of helping and, and, and understanding their struggles. I was so overwhelmed and angry and this is what, I, it gives me freedom, I think, but at the same time, it is very, very dangerous and there needs to be a balance between what you're advocating for and the energy that you're putting forward because it also reflects on the communities that you choose to represent and the communities that that are relying on you to represent them as well. And for example, at COP28, I. I very much took an approach that centered nature, that centered the nature that I grew up amongst, whether that is the oceans or the mangroves in Abu Dhabi that surround me all the time. But I chose to also center the love that I have developed ever since I was a child and I was a kid surrounded by oceans. And I learned that as well from the children on the autism spectrum that I've been working with for two years now who have centered love their entire lives. That's all they, that's, that's, that's what they know. That's the best of their capabilities to engage um, in the movement is that they represent the love that they have for nature. And that's what gives them hope. That's what drives them forward. And I'm so, so lucky to witness not just the community that was uh, eco that was part of the Ecospectrum delegation at COP28 who spoke about that specifically. At COP28, we had a special side event that was actually titled Revolutionizing Ocean Literacy. And the, the panel was led by children on the autism spectrum and youth on the autism spectrum and also experts who are in schools in the Middle East that teach about um, uh, how to make education accessible for uh, autistic children through art or through film or through science. But at the same time, they also spoke so much about why it's so important to be surrounded by nature and to really, really 
reflect on the love and admiration and appreciation that you have for the ancestral structure of nature that we have inherited from our parents and from our grandparents and from our ancestors and then be able to represent that at such a formal space like COP. We're seeing emotions, even though it's being pushed away so much uh, at formal spaces, be actually at the forefront of the conversation. So that gives me hope. That is one of the trends that I'm seeing growing as well. And I'm so lucky to be part of a generation that is actually calling for a bigger movement that centers love and and true and genuine emotions as well.